Hi friends, welcome back to the Love Intently podcast. I'm Sophie Kwok, your host and the founder of Love Intently, where our mission is to empower thriving relationships. Real quick before we jump into this week's episode, this month we are doing a collaboration with Love A Great Story, where we have a limited edition Love A Great Story collection. We co-created this collection because we wanted to empower and inspire more love in the world, because let's face it, all great stories are love stories. We wanted to make something that would empower both the people wearing the pieces and the people seeing the pieces to be reminded that they are fully loved as who they are. And if you listen to the episode with Annabelle and I around attachment styles, you'll know that it's something I personally struggled with. So it's a collection near and dear to my heart, and you can find it all at livegreatstory.com if this resonates with you. So this week we have BT and Brett Harmon. You might know BT as Brett Trapp from Blue Baby's Pink, both a written series and a podcast on a Southern coming out story. He has a million downloads to date. And since then, he has swiped right on his husband, Brett. And yes, they have the same first name. But when they got married, BT decided to change his name and to take on his husband's last name, Harmon. Today, BT is a freelance creative strategist and Brett is a producer at CNN. And what I love about our conversation is just how much they cherish each other and how grateful they are for their life they get to spend together. They grew up knowing from a young age that they were attracted to the same sex and thought that marriage would never be in the cards for them. This episode, they dive into their own personal journeys and navigating the online world for the first time in their adult life and the journey to finding each other. They're precious, and you'll see. Well, we met on Tinder uh, a couple of years ago, early 2015. We went on one date in, uh, towards the beginning of May 2015. Had another first date in August of 2015. <laughs> <laughs> And that is when we like to officially say we started dating was was then. So we dated for roughly uh, about two and a half years and then got engaged December of, of last year and then married in March of this year. Yeah, we were both kind of like late bloomers on the dating scene. We really didn't date till like our late 20s or 30s just mm-hmm. for various reasons. And so, yeah, we were we were new to the whole the whole dating process. So Tinder. How many people did you guys swipe on or go on dates with before meeting each other? <laughs> um, I probably, I mean, I probably matched with several hundred. I, by the way, I hate, we, that's a whole other topic or other show. Right. I, I hated online dating, <laughs> but I endured it and found a good person through it. Um, but yeah, I probably matched with several hundred. And I bet I went on dates with maybe 30 or 40, maybe more than that. I mean, I just... Again, because I've not dated at all, I was kind of like, all right, we need to get out there and like see what this world is like. So yeah, lots of dates. Yeah, maybe a little less for me. I was a little more selective. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about why there was a second first date. Like what kind of happened in between? How was the first date? And then what led to the second one? Well, uh, the first date, I mean, we both have very different versions of the first date. (laughs) 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 To make a long story short, the first date... uh, it ended with, so it was a very casual dinner. Uh, it was wrapping up. I asked Brett, hey, would you want to go get a drink after this? And his response was, I can't. I've got to go home and do laundry. I'm really busy right now. 
So I was uh, admittedly in, in instantly heartbroken because I thought, okay, I am literally more boring than laundry. Um, <laughs> but so then, yeah, several months passed. We just didn't talk at all. We sort of, he disappeared. I just, dis- we both disappeared. And then we reconnected that August. But he has another, or not another version of the story, but an extension to the reason for why. Uh, right. Uh, I had just gone on another first date with somebody not too uh, soon before that. And so I thought it was only fair to give the first person a, a chance first. I mean, you know, when you do online dating and you're swiping, you're chatting with people constantly. So I didn't feel like there was any harm in going on two first dates. <laughs> and he yeah. actually went home and did laundry, I later found out. So which I, yeah. I kind of love that about him because Brett's super practical. And um, so, yeah, we, we get a good laugh out of that now. And so, yeah, so if, if for anybody watching, if your first date's a disaster, you might end up marrying that person. Yeah, so you just, really should. You know, don't don't write them off too quickly. <laughs> How did you get to the second one, though? Like the second one, that's that's what I like. Uh, I was back home visiting some family and he had been on my mind because I knew that he was a quality guy and I was going to work up the courage to text him and, and say, hey, again. Uh, but it just takes me a while to do things like that. Uh, so I just happened to follow him on Instagram one night and literally less than 30 seconds after I follow him he texts me out of the blue like hey hey what's up instagram <laughs> and so that's how we reconnected and i knew immediately he he was still into me and i was into him then and so we started dating yeah i've often said sophie you know like the when you're gay the pool of just the numerical pool of people you can date is way smaller than it is for the straight world so i was into him from like day one and when he came back around and like followed me on instagram i was like we are all about some second chances over here. Let's see what this boy is thinking, because I still thought he was very, very handsome. And so, uh, yeah, we we struck back up conversation, and I was like, wait a minute, I think he's like back into me. This is interesting. <laughs> Brett Harmon is he's back. And so, you know, from there we just started texting, and then phone calls, and then we kind of met back up for a second first date, and haven't stopped since. So you mentioned entering the dating world later on. Do you have any advice for people? tough in the waters of online dating and that whole world have a thick skin a very thick skin (laughs) and just keep going i mean it's difficult it's really difficult i mean i think dating in in general is hard but online dating it it's a double-edged sword you know because you do have a lot more options which is great you can meet a lot more people and it's a lot more convenient but it's also a lot more convenient to keep going to the next person and skipping and skipping mm-hmm. and skipping. So that that has its own pitfalls as well. Yeah, for me, online dating was really just like a consecutive string of miniature heartbreaks, you know, over the course of many months. Like, it's mm-hmm. just, it's very discouraging. As Brett said, you've got to have thick skin. You know, it's just really easy to feel devalued, to feel, you know, I think the the pervading question that really eventually will seep into your mind is what's wrong with me? You know, like, once so many people ghost on you, so many people don't respond to your messages, you know, you, you it just can create this chasm of insecurity around this question of, well, something must be wrong with me because look at all of these people that are, you know, taking a hard pass on my face, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, I, but you know, what I've, what I've told my single friends is I've always reminded them, you're just looking for one, mm-hmm. you know, all, all you're looking for is one person. And that's what it was. Like I absolutely hated online dating. I hated Tinder. Until I found love, you know, and then it was like, oh, it's not so bad. It wasn't that, you know. So that's my thing is like, you never know. I have another friend. She got married uh, from a guy she met on, I think, Tinder or Bumble. And we did the math one day and I asked her, I was like, 
how long have you been on this app? She's like, uh, two years. I was like, how many people do you think you swipe through on average uh, per day? You know, she's like, oh, at least a hundred. So we did the math and it was like, she had swiped through, I think like a hundred thousand, 200,000 profiles, you know, but again, she was just looking for one and, and now she's married with, you know, a baby and all that. So, you know, it's definitely very rough, but at the same time, it just takes a lot of persistence and just a lot of resilience because it does hurt getting constantly mm-hmm. turned down and we both experienced it and it sucked, but you know, after a while, lightning may strike. Heck yeah. So Tinder kind of has like this reputation for being the hookup app. How did you guys make it not that? Because you guys obviously found somebody that, you know, you wanted to be in an actual relationship with. I think it just depends on your own personal mindset. I mean, if you want it to be a hookup app, then it's going to be a hookup app for you. But if you want to to use it for genuine connections, then that's what it'll be. I agree. You know, in the gay world, there's an app called Grinder, which that's actually the hookup yes, app. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we, we never we never went down that road. So I actually found, you know, Tinder was less hookup-y than I was expecting it to be. Um, was this the first time that you guys had fell in love? Like, was this your first serious relationship? For me, it was. Yeah, definitely. I'd never, I dated for someone about two months and that was the longest I'd ever dated someone before that. But even then I wouldn't even say that was a relationship. We were just going on dates. Yeah. I dated someone for like three months, but definitely was not love at all. And it was just, it was like my, one of my first times to Mm -hmm. date someone. Um, but yeah, this was definitely, this one was different. This one was definitely a first for me for sure. So how's it been since being married? Um, it's been good. Marriage has been a lot of fun. We've been married, I guess, about eight months now. Uh, you know, learning to live under the same roof together, to get along, to figure out who's doing dishes and taking out the trash, who's feeding the cat. So, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, our marriage is just extremely average and extremely boring. You know, it's just like any other marriage. And so mm-hmm. there's definitely kind of this weird taboo around the idea of, of gay marriage or same-sex marriage. But to be honest, it really could not be more similar in my mind to the first year of marriage that any other couple out there is experiencing. Yeah, I'd say for a while, for me, it it seemed strange that I was married and I never really felt married because I didn't even know what that was supposed to feel like. But now it just seems very natural. <laughs> right. Yeah, Sophie, I mean, you kind of know our background. Both Brett and I grew up in a very conservative Christian background. We did not date because we thought that being gay was wrong. And so we were kind of on the single celibate path deep into our 20s. And so marriage was never an option for us. It was never something we thought about, planned about, you know, planned for, dreamed about. And so we really, I know I had to kind of recalibrate my mindset into dating of like, all right, there's a chance you could marry this person. Are you prepared for that? Are you okay with that? You know, so I kind of had a couple years of just working through that internally. Um, but what I found is that marriage is incredibly amazing. And I think because neither of us thought we'd have someone, we were, again, we were just sort of intending to be alone forever. I think that's just made us extremely grateful mm-hmm. for each other, extremely grateful for marriage. I mean, we just, we still openly talk about the fact that we can't believe we're married, how much we love being married, how much we're thankful for each other. And, you know, I'm just a big believer that gratitude is one of the most powerful emotions and experiences. And so I think that's, you know, one thing we've tried to get our marriage off to a good start on is just this idea of, you know, just being grateful for each other and appreciating every day. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I actually sent out a text to a few of my friends that are in the gay community, but also in faith and ask them what questions they would have for you guys. And one of the things that they wanted to know was like among the reactions of coming out, was there a particular story or memory of someone 
that reacted to you guys coming out in a totally unexpected way? You know, for me, I would say the whole experience of, of, of telling your body was overall better than I expected. I mean, there were some tough moments, but I, I did expect that, but I had a few family members who I thought would, would have a problem with it and they didn't have a problem with it. So that was, uh, pleasantly surprised with that. I would say the, the one highlight that sticks out for me is my sister had known and then she told uh, her husband and then he, he get, I apparently was really excited and he told her that he couldn't wait to have another brother-in-law. And so she told me that later on that made me feel really good, you know, that people were looking forward to, uh, to me finding somebody and having somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Coming out is just its own sort of bag of stresses and it comes with a lot of, a lot of different things to think through. But yeah, I think one of those fears is that your family will walk away from you. And, and that does happen to some LGBT people. You know, thankfully for me and Brett, that did not happen, though we definitely had some tough conversations with family. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, like like his brother-in-law, just the fact that he had voiced that he was looking forward to having another brother-in-law, I know it was very meaningful to you. And, and I've had similar experiences with my family as well. So what did you do when you first felt butterflies over someone before coming out? Uh, I mean, you just suppress it, you know, you know, you couldn't act on it. And so you didn't want to think about it too much because it was, it felt great, but it also felt terrible at the same time. So, I mean, that's at least what I would do. Yeah. For me, it was, you know, I worked my entire life to, yeah, to suppress and to resist that feeling to not allow myself to get to that point. Because again, I was trying to resist and avoid, you know, quote unquote, giving in to these desires. And so, yeah, it was definitely uh, years, decades of, of resisting that. However, once I allowed myself to go on some of those early first dates, I mean, I have very early memories of uh, just very strange feelings, you know, that were that I experienced on some of these early dates, really just again, allowing myself to experience, I wouldn't say love, but allowing myself to let someone else find me attractive, to let someone else tell me that I was attractive. I'd never experienced that before. You know, most straight people, you experience that when you're, you know, like 13 or 14 on your first, you know, like crush. <laughs> and so uh, I was essentially like a 30 year old, you know, preteen, like going through all these early dating emotions at the same time. And so, so yeah, to be honest, that was one of the sweetest seasons with those first few months of dating. I literally just stayed in tears. I think I lost about 15 pounds because it was a very strangely euphoric season. And I, I the only metaphor I know to use to describe that is, is allowing, opening up my heart to love because I'd worked my entire life to keep from experiencing those feelings. And the minute I let myself feel it, uh, it was uh, incredible and it was uh, very, very life-giving and it really changed my life. It made me, to be honest, a much healthier person because I don't think uh, that we're designed to, you know, sh- shove love in the basement, so to speak, and pretend like it's not there. We all need love. Everybody needs love, whether that's through friends, family, or, or romantically. It's I think it's a human requirement. When did you make that switch from I'm going to be celibate and not date to dating? Well, that's a really long answer to that question for me. Really for me, you know, there are definitely notes of like theology in that question. Because really, I think you could distill that question and say, hey, when did you theologically become okay with dating? Well, I've always said it. I I did not arrive at the point of dating theologically. I arrived there via the root of desperation. Mm. So um, 
and this is part of my story in Blue Baby's Pink, but I, you know, towards the end of my 20s, I began to experience sort of some mental health stuff. I had two trips to the hospital that were anxiety related. Um, I had weird like losses of memory where I couldn't remember people's names. And I, all of that was directly correlated with uh, the stress and anxiety I was feeling in my life around loneliness, around uh, you know, repressing this part of me and tons of LGBT people have similar stories. And so I really came to a point where I had this conversation with myself where I said, Brett, you're barely 30 years old and you're cracking up. You know, like you're starting to experience this mental health stuff and everything in my life was going so well. Like I knew that was, there was a major problem because I, you know, I had every, I had the job of my dreams, I had an incredible friend group, I had incredible family support, love from every direction. If the system should work for anybody, it should work for me. And yet here I was uh, sort of on a downward spiral. And so I kind of, once I hit that point, I said, all right, God, this something here is not working. You know, every other point in my life where I'd followed and pursued God, I experienced increasing levels of joy and alleviation of anxiety, increasing levels of happiness. But here it was the opposite. And that's that's what made me begin to question this whole theology thing was because um, I know that the way of God, the way of Christ is one of wholeness, healing and flourishing. And uh, that was not what I was experiencing. And, and again, since putting out this blog, what I've discovered is hundreds, thousands of other Christian LGBT people have gone down this same path and it's very dark and it's very ugly. And so um, so that really was the catalyst for me to allow myself to begin dating. Then I began the work of working through the theology piece of it. And that was a multi-year process as well. So I think for me, it was a, it was a, a different story. I was uh, pretty close to my grandparents growing up. And then early 2014, I had two pass away back to back, really. Uh, and then it just, it just got me thinking about, you know, the future and and I realized that I actually didn't want to be alone. I thought I was okay with being alone for the rest of my life. But then once I started thinking about it, I decided that's not what I really wanted. Uh, so that's when I started dating. BT, tell me about Blue Baby's Pink and what inspired it and what life has been like since. Uh, so yeah, Blue Baby's Pink is a, a blog and podcast I started in 2016. And it's really just a personal memoir um, my story of growing up in a, a small Southern Christian town, the son of a Southern Baptist pastor, uh, and the youngest of three sons, and hiding the secret that I was same-sex attracted. And so, uh, you know, it was just really, it's it's 44 different chapters. It's about 90,000 words. So it's, it's kind of a, a serialized type story that you read from start to finish, or you can listen to the podcast. But, but yeah, I began publishing that in 2016. I published sort of one post per day for about 44 days. And really the, the goal behind it was to invite people in. You know, when, when, when people come out, it's a very emotional experience, particularly if you come out online and you get a lot of negativity, a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of questions. You know, I had just lived a life where everything I had done was to hide the fact that I was gay. So I had just built this sort of fortress of misdirection and distractions around me to keep people off the scent, so to speak. And so I knew that when I came out for some people, it would be shocking and they wouldn't understand. And, you know, and there's also this uh, prevailing belief that homosexuality is a decision. It's a choice, you know, so I didn't want people to think that I wanted people to know like, Hey, because I not only did I not choose this, I never would have chosen it. In fact, it's the one thing in my life I wished to be rid of growing up. And so 
I just began to tell people my story, really starting from basically childhood up to almost the present day. And really the source of material that I was pulling from was uh, notes that I had taken for about a decade. So I think starting in 2007, I had began, begun to just take little notes. I'm sort of a very internalized, reflective person. And so every time I would have a thought or an experience or a feeling around this part of my life, I would secretly record it in this note. And so once uh, I began to publish this story, I had a vault of about 25,000 words that I was pulling from of all these experiences. In 2009, this happened. And 2012, this happened. So really the whole story was just me walking people through that journey of, hey, here's what was happening in my mind while I was processing this. Here's the incredible fear I dealt with. Here's how I coped with that. Here's the shame that I felt. Here are the things that people said along the way. And you know, the first person I came out to. So so yeah, that was really just, it was my attempt to give people the backstory of, hey, yes, I am gay, but let me just like give you an insight into what that's been like. It's more than just those few words. And so, you know, I put the story out there. It, it gained some traction and a pretty strong readership. Uh, a few bloggers, you know, posted about it and helped promote the message, which was nice. 2017, I, I did the podcast, which was essentially me just reading the story word for word. And so, so yeah, it's been really, really fun, really, really sweet to be invited into so many people's uh, stories and to hear their stories of pain and their process of coming out. And so it's been really, really life-changing for me. And I'm super grateful with kind of how it's all gone. Yeah. What does God look like now coming from such a traditional Christian background? You know, that's a very, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I would say, you know, at the end of the day, to me, God is love, which is a sort of a pat answer. Um, but, you know, it's so funny how when you read back through the scriptures, that is the theme that keeps getting, you know, it keeps going back to, you know, we even have these sort of rankings of as far as, uh, you know, verses that say, you know, here's the, the first and greatest commandment is this, the second is this, you know, both of those things go back to love. You know, there's definitely been a, a reprocessing of how I view my faith. You know, I think the the literalistic uh, understanding of the Bible, obviously, that's something that I've been, you know, working back through and under, trying to understand how to process and interpret different things. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, God is still God, and I think my faith is still strong, and I still have that same faith that I grew up on and that, you know, I accepted Christ when I was about 14. And so, you know, he's still a part of my life, and it looks different, and I'm still working through things. But I think, you know, I always go back to the idea of certainty. I think growing up sort of an evangelical church, this idea of if we can understand and study and dissect the Bible enough, we can then achieve certainty around theology, certainty around all the different parts of God. And I actually just, I don't believe that anymore. I think that there's, um, there is room for questioning, for doubt. And I think that's actually what enriches our faith, because if you have doubt, but you still have faith, you have to have that faith to kind of keep it going. And so I think that's what God wants. I think he wants us to keep questioning, to stay curious, to keep you know seeking and searching him. So, Yeah. What about you, Brett? What does faith look like for you? You know, for me, it's, it's, it's really practical now. You know, it's an everyday thing. I like going to church as a family and being there together because it was, it was so individualistic growing up. But now that you have somebody, I mean, you get to share that with them and, and hear about their story and share your, your own with them. And so it's just, it's, it's almost a way of reconnecting just from a different perspective. Yeah, I'd say even, I think we've both experienced being in a relationship <clears throat> has enriched our faith, you know, because growing up, you know, both of us were, you know, believers walking with God through high school and college, 
doing our best to honor to honor God, but then there was this one part of our life because we, again, we're shunning this need for love, for relationship. Uh, that part of our life just kind of, I know for me, it felt like a big open wound. And it was mm-hmm. just this constant question of God, why, why is this, why are you allowing this? Why am I this way? And, it, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm a big believer. Humans are designed for companionship. And I think that a loving relationship, a loving marriage uh, should reflect all the best things about God. And so I know for me, just being in this relationship and being married has, um, it's just been good for my faith because I see a lot of the best things about God, you know, happening in our marriage and the same things I see happening in other Christian marriages. That's what we're trying to reflect on our own. So. Mm-hmm. What has it been like having so much of your story out there or being married to kind of an influencer and like, how do you guys discern what things can be shared or not? You know, for me, it's, it's been fine. I think I was a little stressed when we first started doing BBP because I'm just a more private person than he is. And so I would not even dream of telling any aspect of my life really online. And so I, you know, I was freaked out a little bit by that at first, but we <laughs> talked about it. And I think as time went on, it, it was a non-issue. And now that we're married, I mean, I just know that that comes with the territory and I really don't mind it. I still, I still am much more private than he is, but I think he's very respectful of that and, you know, just puts me out there sparingly. Yeah, I think there's just a big principle here of like, let your spouse be them. Mm-hmm. You know, I love, I love putting myself out there. I love the vulnerability of kind of bearing my soul to strangers. Like that's motivating for me. It's fueling in that I feel like that's sort of my purpose and that it's that people need that. I mean, Sophie, you know how much of social media is just uh, polished up garbage. And so I just think we need more people being honest and bearing their souls so that I live my life that way or try my best to, but I don't for one minute impose that on him and expect him to do the same thing. So I'm not dragging him into the spotlight, you know, begrudgingly. I'm, I'm letting him do him. Uh, he's letting me do me. We have boundaries around, you know, like, is this okay if I post this and how does this make you feel if I talk about this part of our relationship? So that's still a work in progress and we're still figuring that out. But yeah, I think we've just, any relationship, particularly marriage, you've got to give the other person space to be themselves. And if they're more private, let them be private. Yeah. What has been one of your biggest conflicts or hardest things that you guys have had to work through and how'd you learn to work past it? That's a good question. I think we've really not had a ton of conflict, to be honest. And it's like, you know, you hear so much about the first year of marriage and how it's like, hell and chaos. And it's not been that way. And may, maybe that comes later, but we've had a really sweet year. We've definitely had conflict, not to, not to say we haven't had any, you know, it's funny. Like we did some pre engagement counseling with a therapist here in Atlanta mm-hmm. and we did some kind of like uh, couples assessment kind of thing. And so, you know, it's one of these questionnaires. And so it comes back and the therapist is basically like, she shows us this chart and one of, and the, it's like a bar chart and like the chart on the right is me. And it's like all the way maxed out to the top. And then uh, Brett's is like down at the bottom. And she's like, we need to talk about this. And so she's like, this is like your tolerance for change. And so basically for me, it's like, I love change. I just want so much change that it is just, again, it's, it's kind of hell and chaos. Like I, I, I am motivated by change. Brett on the other hand does not like change as much. And so uh, you know, that was like a big moment for, for me to realize, hey, Brett, you cannot impose, again, just because you like last minute decisions and last minute changes does not mean that he does. And so I think there's been elements of that that have come out in this past year. Again, you know, would I call that conflict? Probably not. But it's it's something to be aware of that I'm on guard about. Mm-hmm. And I, I try to run every kind of decision 
about our family through that grid of, hey, Brett, just because you like it this way doesn't mean he does. You need to pre-communicate and smooth yeah. things out. So. You know, I would say that it's it's the, it's the little everyday things that you think, you know, this is the right way to, to do something. This is the right way to think about it. <laughs> then you're, you're, you're attached now to someone who's completely different and they may have opposite ideas of something and that may seem crazy to you. And so it's just, it's learning to let the little things go and not stress about it. So I, I agree with you. And you know, I feel like we haven't had any major conflict and I'm very thankful for that. I think there are, you know, a bunch of little issues that we've talked about and, and worked things out and come to terms on and realized in the long term what's more important. Yeah. You know? Is there anything that you wish you would have known sooner about love, relationships, or marriage? I don't know if I really do wish that or don't because part of the growing experience and part of the fun is figuring it out on your own. I would think that I wish I had had or felt comfortable with like talking to someone older about the dating ups and downs, mm. you know, not necessarily to, you know, try to find answers just to have a, a sounding board, you know, when you do get dumped after you go on a couple of dates with somebody or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the fun is just being in the moment and experiencing yourself. Yeah. I mean, I think number one, there's still a ton of stuff we don't know. So, uh, so yeah, I think we're still learning. There's still tons to learn. We're just in marriage. And I think 10 years from now, we'll have a lot more wisdom, but you know, I think for me, what I've learned in this short amount of time is I think just talking about your marriage is key. Like, I think I didn't realize how once you get into the flow of life and routines get created around your household and around work and around your social life, it's just easy to like let time pass days, weeks, months, and to not actually sit down and talk about your marriage, about are each of us, you know, are we happy? Are we serving each other well? Is there some like hidden thing that somebody's mad about? And so, you know, we've not done that perfectly in this first year, but I think we've done it probably more than your average bear, you know, like, so I think just literally setting aside time to just talk about the marriage itself as sort of this almost a almost speaking of it as if it's like a third party, you know, like your marriage is this thing. And if you ignore it and, and just let it sit, you know, there's a chance that entropy is going to set in and it's going to kind of corrode as opposed to just pulling it out, pulling it off the shelf and talking about it and asking the person what they think about it. To me, that's half the battle is having the courage to go there. Because to be honest, it's a lot easier just to keep going mm-hmm. through these routines of life and to not ever talk about it. And and I mean, I, I think I go through phases where I've done that, you know, because I avoid conflict. That's not one of my strong suits at all. It's actually probably my biggest weakness is I don't like talking about hard things, but um, but it doesn't have to be hard. It can just be a simple conversation. And I think that's that's what we're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys like schedule time on your calendar or what does that look like practically? Like, how do you guys stay intentional about that? It just kind of comes up organically, you know, if, if if we feel like we need to say something, you know, I know I've gotten a lot better about speaking up on it and I know he has too. Uh, and so we discuss anything that is on our minds. And I found that, you know, when we talk things out, it makes me feel a lot closer to him afterwards just to get it off my chest and, and have somebody to talk to and realize that maybe what I'm thinking or feeling is actually pretty small in the big picture once I get it out of my head and uh, realizing you know, my love for him is a lot more important than any anything that I may be thinking. So it just it just happens naturally. And I feel like it 
it kind of should in a way, you know? Mm. Yeah, it's been organic for us. There are days when I feel like we need to like structure it out. And I know some couples do, or it's like the first Monday of every month, we're going to have a date night and we're going to talk about, you know, I think that can be good. You know, I kind of bring it back to like my uh, previous corporate career. I was in management and we had performance reviews. And what I learned with performance reviews was like, if you have a performance review like once a quarter, then what happens is you actually, you'll save stuff up to talk about that time, but you'll be mad about it in the meantime, you know, which I think is kind of like toxic. Mm-hmm. So this is, I have no idea if this is like a good correlate, but uh, you know, I think there's this principle, like, do we save things up and talk about them later at the quote unquote official time? Or do we, is it more healthy to like bring it up in the moment? And and I'm just throwing that out there because I really don't know the answer to that question. But I do think through that as like, is it more healthy to just get in the habit of when something happens, when there's conflict, we need to train ourselves to address this now and not wait until the first Monday of the month and date night. So mm. I don't know. Maybe there's probably people who mm-hmm. are listening to this who have better wisdom and they can, like, maybe they could shoot me a message or us a message about that. We'd love to hear your feedback. So. Yeah, that's super interesting. I've actually heard it both ways. I think especially for couples that are extremely busy, that have really jam-packed schedules, mm-hmm. having something set on their calendar is helpful. But then for people that are in maybe less crazy seasons, bringing it up in real time, I think is really healthy and helpful. So mm-hmm. yeah, and that makes sense because I have a lot of flexibility with my schedule now. We don't have children. We have a, a four-month-old cat. So yeah, we're not the busiest people in the world. So for us, yeah, the, the organic thing probably works for now. Yeah. What does day-to-day look like now? Like, what do you guys do for your day jobs? Uh, well, I work at CNN here in Atlanta, and I, I help to manage the videos for our online platforms. Uh, I work in the evening, so during the day, uh, I'm here around the house playing with the cat, <laughs> and then I go to work. <laughs> yeah, I'm a freelance creative person, so I do um, work with various, or was did corporate for several years, about a decade, about two years ago, I went out on my own. So I do freelance uh, brand strategy, some design, some copywriting, sort of a grab bag of creative services for mostly businesses around the Atlanta area. And then I've got my own projects and things that I put out into the world that are not necessarily, uh, you know, maybe not monetary or career driven, but they're passion projects, things that I am passionate about. And I've got, you know, more stuff, more stuff like that, hopefully coming in the future. What are some of those things and how can we support and find you on the on all your fun projects? Oh, well, thanks. So my main website is btharmon.com. That's Harmon with two A's. Uh, that's kind of my personal site. And I've got my portfolio of consulting work and all kinds of different things on there. Bluebabiespink.com. If you're interested in that story, you can go to that site. It'll direct you either to the written form version or the podcast. Um, and then as far as the future goes, I've got another podcast and I'm going to be putting out... Um, 2019, I won't commit to win in 2019, but sometime in 2019 that I am really excited about. It's totally unrelated to Blue Baby's Pink. Uh, It's going to be more uh, in the same way as Blue Baby's Pink being very story driven, very narrative driven. And I've been working and thinking through that for several years. So I am eager to put something new out into the universe. So we'll see when that happens, but hopefully sooner than later. Yeah, can't wait to check it out. That's super exciting. What are some of your favorite parts about your spouse? And like what set each one of you apart from all the other guys that you guys had been on dates with? I knew really early on that he was a good quality guy. And that was that was probably the main thing that I was looking for. There was one <laughs> there was one day 
a few months after we had started dating, uh, I was really sick. Like I had bronchitis for a week in, in November, uh, a couple of years ago. We'd been dating for just a few months and there was a knock at my door and I opened it and there was a huge Amazon box there. And so I opened it up and there was, you know, all this stuff. There was Sprite and Oreos and vitamins and Kleenex in there. <laughs> and uh, there was a, a note in there that said it was from him. And so when I got that box, I, I was actually pretty stunned because I could not believe <laughs> that somebody would do that. You know, be that nice or care that much about me to, to, to do this. And so I think pretty much from that moment on, it was either it was either him or nobody for me. You know, I, I didn't want anybody else. Oh, <laughs> thanks. I, I think for me, you know, I was instantly struck by Brett's incredible kindness, his incredible sincerity. You know, Brett's just not a he's not an ostentatious or pretentious person, which I was very drawn to. In some ways, he's a much better person than me. He's like more kind hearted, which I love. You know, I like, I had this weird list of like, you know, we all have these lists, especially growing up in the church of like, here's what to look for in a spouse. And I kind of sort of came up with my own, you know, and a couple of the things on that list. One of them is I just, I would run this imaginary scenario through my mind. Brett, if you were to get some horrible disease five years from now, would this person stick around? You know, like if you were got to get a terminal diagnosis, would they stick around or would they leave? You know, and to me, that's just that's just a reflection of that person's character. That's really a question about does this person have character or not to stick out through a really tough time. And I definitely, you know, several months in, I knew Brett was the kind of person that if that were to happen, he would be right by my side. So that that was big. And then I think even more practical than that was, is this person a liar? Like, I'm a big believer, like, don't get close to people who chronically lie. And so that just, again, that goes back to character and integrity, which that's really in my mind, that should supersede all other things in dating and marriage. And so, so yeah, Brett was a truthful and honest person. And I knew that mattered as well, because again, if you're sexually attracted to somebody and think they're the coolest person in the world, but they lie to you on a consistent basis, you've got zero foundation. So those were two of the things on my list that he, he checked those boxes pretty early on. And then once I kind of saw that, it was just a matter of, of logistics and timing and figuring out when it could all happen. So. Yeah. What was the proposal like and how, what was the conversation kind of leading up to that? Had you guys talked about marriage prior or was it more of like a surprise thing? How did that all unfold? Yeah, we had talked about it. I think once, once I hit like that, the year and a half mark, I mean, I, well, let me go back. I, I think I knew that I wanted to marry him, you know, at the Amazon six, box. Six, six yeah, <laughs> six or eight months into dating, you know, I knew I wanted to. I didn't say that because I knew better than to say that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I think once we hit the year, year and a half mark of dating, that it it came up, and I was I was definitely yes, and I think he was a yes as well, just a little later than I was, you know, you know, maybe not as soon as I was. And so we had talked about it, and I thought we would probably get engaged sometime in the spring or summer of 2018. But then he he surprised me with a little short trip to New York around Christmas of last year, and I thought it was just a trip. Uh, but then he proposed while we were there, and so he caught me off guard, which was a really good surprise. And so we got a, we got engaged probably about you know six months earlier than I thought. So I was happy. <laughs> yeah, everybody asks like. So who proposes to who, you know, in a same-sex relationship? And I don't know. We just kind of always knew that I would propose, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, what Brett said earlier, this is another, like, dating tip I would give. Brett was so good in dating about 
not being too overbearing about getting engaged, getting married. Like he definitely wanted to a little bit sooner than I did. I wanted to as well. Just like he said, I was lagging behind, but Brett was just, he just played his cards really well as far as like letting me know that he was super into me and wanted to marry me, but it wasn't like an overbearing thing. It wasn't an everyday conversation. It wasn't a pressure, you know? Um, so I really appreciated that because he gave me the space to work through it in my own mind to work through kind of the timeline and all that. And so, so yeah, I kind of like was trying to get him to think it was going to happen in the spring. Cause I knew that would set up a much better surprise that December. So yeah, we got engaged in central park under all the lights in New York city. And it was mm. pretty much a dream kind mm-hmm. of magical. We loved it. Yeah. It was really cold. We wanted yeah, to, yeah, it's very cold. I don't, rec- <laughs> I don't recommend it to anyone getting engaged in New York and central park in December seems really dreamy and romantic you will literally think your hands are going to fall off. So don't do that. <laughs> Go somewhere warm. It was it was romantic, but it was very brutal. Oh my gosh. You like ran into a coffee shop immediately after. Uh, yeah. Yes, that's absolutely true. <laughs> We're like, get us out of this park. Get us to like, yeah, somewhere. Oh my goodness. Last two questions is what is the best relationship advice you have ever received or could give? I got some actually. It was on our wedding, our wedding night right at, Right after the wedding and during our reception, I asked one of my coworkers what her advice was. And she said, the the person who's right always apologizes first. Mm. And so I think, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because I always say, okay, that's why I always apologize first, babe. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's to me that that phrase is another word for humility. You know, both people need to have humility in marriage. That's so good. Yeah. I, for me, I just think marriage... Again, for what little I know thus far, it goes back to one word. And for me, that word is selflessness. I just think we're all selfish people. We all want things on our own terms. And I just think that does not work in marriage. And so the quicker you can do the work on yourself and your own heart, whether that's with God, if you're a person of faith or through self-help, if you're not, whatever your thing is, I think getting your own mindset into place of we are now a team of two. I've been on a team of one for the previous 20 mm-hmm. or 30 years. Now we're a team of two and teams of two have to think about the other person at all times. There's, there's not this sense of independence of doing things your own way, uh, tons of sacrifice, tons of compromises. And so, so that's just, that's how I think about marriages as I'm talking to my own self, it's Brett, how selfless can you be and how much can you put this other person's needs ahead of your own? And I think, if you're both doing that, you know, as best you can, it works. And yeah, there's days where you mess up and you act like a jerk and, you know, you get into an argument, but, you know, you may lose some battles, but I think you'll win the war if that's sort of your guiding mentality. So that's really what we're trying to do and trying to get better at each each day. Those are awesome nuggets. Thanks for sharing. Uh, before we move on to the last question, I just want to take a moment to acknowledge both of you for coming on and sharing so openly. I adore your relationship and the way that you guys love and um, serve one another, but also your community. So thank the both of you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Sophie. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah. Last question is, what does love or love intently mean to you? You know, um, Again, I think it goes back to selflessness as part of it. Um, you know, I, I actually, I knew you were going to ask this question. So I looked up, you know, the definition of, of intently because it's kind of an interesting word and it has to do with like eagerness. So I think the question is like, how do you eagerly love the other person? And I, to me, it's just 
thinking about the needs of that person, doing some little special things. You know, every now and then I'll open up my laptop and there'll be like a note from him inside that just says, I love you, have a great day, you know? And like, it's funny how that's just the most simple 30 second action. But me knowing that he thinks about me when I'm not around and takes little actions like that goes a really long way. So I think there's there's just that. You know, when I think of the word intently, I think of uh, a word that we used in my old company that my boss talked about, which is intentionality, which is sort of an extension of that word. I think that's a big part of it as well, is being intentional, not just letting things happen on accident, but actually having purpose and intent in your day-to-day relationship. To me, that's the foundation that I think every good marriage is built on. Yeah, for me, uh, I would say it, it means not letting there be distance between the two people. You know, I don't, I don't like when there's physical or emotional distance between us. And so I, taking whatever steps you need to to reduce that distance and make sure you're, you're connected and you feel close to that person. I think that's what loving intently means. Thank you so much for listening. I really enjoyed this conversation as LGBT youth are five times more likely to commit suicide and not to mention that suicide is the leading cause for death for people under 35. And as someone who grew up with gay best friends, well, this topic is just really near and dear to me as I watch them fight these demons. BT and Brett are super active in their communities in multiple facets, and I just have a deep gratitude for how they leverage their story to empower others on their own journey to becoming their best selves. If you liked what you heard, I would deeply, deeply appreciate it if you could subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps us be found by others. And also, I would love to know what's resonating with you. If you could take a screenshot and share it on your stories and tag us and just let us know what you loved about this episode, that would mean so much to me. It gives me a better idea of what's resonating or not and what type of episodes to produce in the future. Well, thank you so much again for your time. Until next time, with love and intention.